Third John. Third John. We'll be studying through this book, and it will take us at least several weeks to get through. And these things, John doesn't start anything necessarily new in Third John, but there are, there is some growth here. Uh, you can see from the Gospel according to John, then First John, then Second John. There's a natural pattern of growth. The um, the principal verse in Third John, you might have it well marked in your Bible. It's verse eleven. He says, "Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God." That sounds as though maybe some might say that John is drawing unnecessary lines, or maybe he's a Pharisee or a Sadducee or some kind of you know holier than thou kind of a guy. But in all honesty, John is just saying what the Lord Jesus Christ said. In evaluating this letter, um, we must understand then that that. Everything that we learn, their their works do not save, but there are uh, works that accompany salvation, and that doing are the things that accompany salvation. Okay, so from the very start, we're going to see in verse one application in that very idea. He says, and and by the way, I'm not going to ask for hands, but I would encourage you to read this this sweet short. Letter it takes you ten, t- 10 minutes to read it. It is such a beautiful book. It really is, or a beautiful letter, that is. He says, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So much volume in just a few words. That word love, it's, it's a love that's comprehensible by men. Because here's a man saying to another man, I love you. Now, this isn't a gross kind of a love. This is a godly love. This is a love that is based on truth and because God is truth. And, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no love that is true that is ungodly. Okay. So if somebody says they have true love, but they have a true love in a, in a sinful uh, mode, then it's not true love. It's neither true nor love. It's lust and based on other things we won't get into. But this is a beautiful and godly thing. A fondness or to love or be dear to, to be well pleased or contented with. You could say that in modern language that Gaius and John were bros. You know, they, they, they loved one another. They did. Um, just as much, I, I believe, that you could see back in the lives of Jonathan and David, those two men had a true fondness of one another in the Lord. That's right. Um, people try to make that a grotesque relationship as well, but I don't, I don't believe that's the case. That's right. So I want you to, before we get really into this message deeply, I want you to consider just something on a practical way that love comes natural to those who bear it. Okay, love comes natural to those who bear it. So look, if you would please, in Galatians chapter 5, and you'll see what, I'm, what we're talking about there. Galatians chapter 5. And, and uh, you know, in, in verses uh, 19 and t- through 21, it talks about how just what the natural man does, the natural works of the flesh. 
But the fruit or, uh, or the produce of the Spirit is first and foremost what? Love. That's right. So those who, those who have the Spirit then don't have to struggle to love. Okay? So what, the, what spiritual love looks like is a lot different than what maybe the world would say is love. Exactly. Um, you know, some people might say that if, if I were to discipline my child... Or children that that's not loving. I should give them whatever I want. Well, look at what happened to David and his son, who never never displeased him, never told him no. Well, that that kid was a real creep, wasn't he? he tried to take the throne. No love from a biblical perspective. What was what was the first instance that you were made aware of the love of God in your life? Well, wasn't it when you realized in the Lord granting repentance according to the new birth? It was it was a rebuke. The first love you experienced, experienced by God, was came in the form of rebuke. So when we understand what love is, we have to understand also that these guys didn't just like each other because they both followed the cowboys. You see, these guys loved one another in truth and in love. But it was a, a a a truthful love and that a godly love, and we're gonna we're gonna get into that. So these two men, both being believers, no one had to tell them that they were to love each other, because it is natural. Love is natural to those who bear it. Okay, love isn't forced, demanded, or coerced of those who bear it either. If you look, please, in Second Thessalonians. It's natural. It flows. It should be a flowing thing, love. Second Thessalonians, if you would, please, before we get too far into what he said here. In Second Thessalonians chapter 3, it says in verses 4 and 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. That sounds abrasive, doesn't it? Touching you, command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. Not into, you know, the, 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 uh, the finer aspects of doctrine and the mysteries of all whatever. The Lord... Direct your hearts into the love of God, the practice of love of God, and into the patient waiting for Christ. That's that's waiting for Christ or, uh, or, or laboring unto or being a waiter for Christ, unto his coming, right? So he's talking about first and second Thessalonians, the coming of the Lord. So getting into that, when John tells Gaius that he loves him and he loves him in truth and he's well-beloved, this is a... I said natural, really supernatural because of the new birth. These men shared a relationship in Christ that was very deep. It really was. It was, And it was more than just, I, I love you in the Lord because we'll get into next week, the very next verse. He wants to know how he's doing as a man. You know, how you, how you doing mentally? How you doing physically? Your health, that your health prosper as your soul does. Also, if you would please, in John chapter 13... John chapter 13, uh, the Lord himself speaks of the love of his people. Okay, uh, John chapter 13 and verse 35, 
By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye love one another. Is it they will know because I just walk around saying to Brother Adam, I love you, 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 I love you. Or is it how we conduct ourselves with one another? Right? Romans chapter 5. It's a natural thing. No one has to teach anybody these things. Paul and his conversion... People he was trying to kill, now he wanted to be near and close to. And when they told him no, he didn't lose his mind. He persisted and said, no, I really love you. I want to be near you. I don't know anything about you, but I want, I want to be near you. I want, I want to be where you are. I, want, I, I, I love you. John uh, Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So not only is love not to be a natural thing because of the new birth, being shed abroad. You remember that old cartoon, the, the Care Bears? Maybe some of y'all remember that, where they did what they call a Care Bear stare, and this beam came out of their bellies, and they had, you know. Well, the love of God out of our hearts ought to come forth out of us. It, it ought to be just a, a thing that is characteristic of who we are, but particularly between the people of God. The love of God should be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. There should be a, an immediate connectedness with the true children of God. That being the case, turn back to our text. He says, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Okay. Well-beloved. So that word well-beloved means esteemed or dear. Worthy of love. Worthy of love? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Well, that's true. I'm not worthy of the love of God. But by command, we are worthy of the love of one another, aren't we? Are, are we not? Look at, again, 1 John chapter 4. Make the, have, See this as making sense. In, in 1 John chapter 4, he says how God loved us in verse 10. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent our son, his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Because of the forgiveness of sins, God shows his love through Jesus Christ. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. How? Through the forgiveness of sins of Jesus Christ. So if Adam has offended me or I have offended Adam, if I can't forgive him or he can't forgive me, that means I have a higher standard of forgiveness than God Almighty Himself. That's really dangerous territory, isn't it? It is. So when 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 John tells Gaius that he's well beloved or esteemed or dear or worthy of love, he's not saying, oh, you're sinless or whatever, but he's saying the love of God, which the love of God covering a multitude of sins, he loves Gaius in that in that respect and in that regard. And because of the work of God in Gaius, there are certain characteristics that also make Gaius well beloved. Okay? So to again another another uh, another definition of that word well beloved means esteemed. Okay? Well that means holding respect or admired. You know, we, if, if we can't, as the children of God, if we don't admire one another, and I don't mean that, that we should lift one another up of ourselves, but in Christ, admiring Him and His work through us, 
That ought to be an easy thing for us to do. Holding respect or in, in regard. You know, when I mean, we call each other brother and sister, why, we, why do we do that? Because it's because it, 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 it calls upon the fellowship we have through the relationship we have being the children of God, right? So in admiring one another and respecting one another, we, there are also those works that come out from us, the, the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts, Romans 5, 5. Then we would admire God through one another. Don't you read in the Word of God and see... Well, we just studied a series on David. Don't we look at David and admire the work of God through David? Well, surely we do. Even admiring David in, in that he was just a person. But we see that the work of God through him, right? We, see, we saw his flaws or some of his flaws. But admiring one another. Also, being well-beloved, he held him dear, or he, he cherished him, he had an affection toward him. You know, there's people that say that they love one another, and they don't care if you live or die, but I love you, right? James talked about love, and he said, well, what good is it if, if you say I love you, and somebody has need of a coat, or they have need of, of food, and you say, the Lord be with you, what kind of love is that? But holding someone dear, they, they, John held Gaius dear. Also, again, well-beloved means worthy, or having or showing the qualities or abilities that merit the, a recognition in a specific way, worthy. Some people are worthy of a, of a whipping. Some people are worthy uh, of, of, of honor, esteem, as we've read, well-beloved. So John, he truly did see... Gaius is well-beloved. And it should be the desire of the children of God to be well-beloved and greet and be greeted by the well-beloved. Right? So whenever we come together, I mean, if we all just, you know, secretly despise one another and we're all just checking a box in here, I've, I've, I've been in assemblies where it seems like that's the case. Nobody really liked or cared for one another. Nobody cared what the other person had to say or their perspectives. And certainly no one took the time to actually get to know anybody. They just, oh, I love you, pass the plate, amen, get out the back door. And that's ugly, it really is. What kind of people? Listen, if they were, if Gaius... If John desired to express his well-beloved association to Gaius, don't you think Gaius would have seen that as a as a, uh, a truly a love a loving expression? Let me repeat this in a different way, Brother Gary. If I said I esteem you, I cherish you, and I find you worthy according to the work of God in you, I love you, and you are well beloved. Wouldn't that, doesn't that mean something to you? Would only mean something to you if I'm likewise well beloved, right? It provokes, it provokes love and good works. What kind of people do I find to be well beloved? What what kind of people do I esteem? What kind of people do I do I care about, right? So if I if I if I find this world and this system well beloved. Then it might, I might get on Facebook and see who likes this and who likes that and see what kind of a following I can get. What kind of people do I hold dear? What kind of people do I cherish? 
What kind of people do I see the qualities and, and the attributes of God in? And I say, you know what? Those are people by the power of God that are that are worthy, and I want to be among their never. Those people are the real deal. Well, break it down further. What kind of people do I hang out with? What kind of people do I ask advice from? What kind of people do I follow in times of uncertainty or go to them and say, well, you know, what should I do? I believe that John, who walked with, don't, don't forget that, he walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, Gaius, unto the well-beloved Gaius, the same John that put his head on the Lord Jesus' breast at the supper. This man knew, this man knew what it would what meant to be admired and worthy and dear. Jesus Christ himself is esteemed and worthy and dear. So for him to call him that, it, he, there, you can see the relationship. Also ask ourselves, what kind of people do we find to be, uh, what kind of uh, people do we find that, uh, we, that we do not find well-beloved? Okay? What kind of people do you not respect or admire? What kind of people do you not cherish? What kind of people do you, do you not show worthiness or qualities and, uh, toward that uh, they have attributes of God and, and, and trusting and obeying the Lord? I would think that before we would call anybody else, we'd call one another for advice. I would think that. I think that should be the case, particularly in spiritual matters. Oh, this well-beloved Gaius, I'm sure when, when Brother Gaius received this letter, before he opened it, he said, Oh boy, good news from John. John is writing. I'm sure it meant something for Gaius to receive this letter, and I'm sure it was indeed a joy, even with the hard parts, for, for John to write this letter to Gaius. What kind of people do we find well-beloved? Taking advice from, hanging out. So I believe fully then that John writing to Gaius, we could say at minimum he had a strong confidence toward him. This is also a love and a truth. It's a personal love. This is a personal love. that He didn't write to everybody in the world. He wrote to Gaius, you see. Gaius, his, his, his name means lord or owner or possessor or overseer, but... I don't know if he was a shoe cobbler. I don't, all we know about Gaius is what we find in this book, that he was a stout man in the Lord. But being a personal, this is a, a letter from one man to another. Both John, uh, John both loved and found Gaius personally well-beloved. And again, the definition of well-beloved means esteemed or admired, respected, dear or cherished, and worthy of showing quality and ability as in the Lord in, in matters of importance. So John saw that and he, he loved and found Gaius personally well-beloved. Look at verse 2. Loved, I, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. So he found him as a person that was consistent and even a, 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 a mighty man in the Lord in things pertaining to the gospel and things pertaining to the word of God, the work of God and the word of God. He found, he cared, so he cared for his health, 
He also had a wonderful testimony, verses 3 through 8. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in truth. And then you can read on how, how he was helping those people. So he had, he had a legitimate testimony of living out his belief system. In verse 9, he said, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loved to have the preeminence among them, received us not. So because the church had not been received of John and his party, he wrote Gaius. Now, did he send out multiple letters, and one of the letters that was received is the one that Gaius brought? I don't know, and I, I don't want to speculate that. I do know that we have this letter. So we know that Gaius was at least a person who had some leadership capacity there in the assembly. We know that Gaius had discernment, as we read in verse 11. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil is, hath not seen God. Have you seen something, though? That word beloved keeps coming up. And it's the same word as well-beloved. Okay, hold that in the back of your mind. He also, John also longed to see Gaius, and you can see that in verses 13 and 14. I had many things to write, but... I will not with ink and pen write unto thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee and shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee. Our friends salute thee. Greet the friends by name. So friends, this isn't just kind of loose acquaintance kind of a deal. I mean, they, they were, they were uh, deeply affectionate toward one another in a godly way. Now there are people that say, I love you, and they don't mean it. And there are people that I love as people that I would not consider to be well-beloved. Okay, I've got family members, blood relatives, that I love them, but they're not well beloved. I don't know if you've heard the uh, that the the statement before. Trust me with your life, but not your money or your wife. You know, something like that. There are people that you love in a in a natural way, but there is not there is not that new birth supernatural well belovedness between them. These people that I may love, but I, they're not well-beloved of, I don't respect them or admire them. And I do not regard them as cherished. And, and even don't show, they don't show qualities of the new birth or attributes of the new birth. And in actuality, if I wasn't related to them, I probably wouldn't have anything to do with them at all. But I am. you know. So there is that, that natural love. I love them, but they're not well-beloved. No, this, this man Gaius was well-beloved. But you know what? I'm not blood-related, natural blood-related to any of y'all, but by the blood of Christ, we are brothers and sisters. And I do consider each one of you well-beloved. I really do. Lex, Jill, Adam, Debbie, Gary, Nellon, brothers and sisters. I do consider each one of you well-beloved. I esteem each one of you in the Lord. I really do. And I know that you desire of Him whatsoever the, the Lord would have through the Word of God, I, I know you desire of Him. So uh, as far as esteeming goes, I admire and I respect you for that. If it were to be found that, 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 we, that we're doing something amiss or awry, that, that I know in, 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 in how I esteem you in the Lord, that you would say, God is true. We will repent and do what He says. I cherish each one of you. And that with great affection in the Lord. Uh, I pray over you. I ache over you. I rejoice with you in, in, in certain in circumstances. 
and each one of you I see worthy in the Lord, meaning that by his grace you show qualities of the work of God in you through salvation. That you desire to seek the Lord, to trust him, and to do what he says. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to be numbered among a group of well-beloved children of God. It really is. In the Word of God, we see this type of love and affection is both right and beautiful. So I believe as we see what how the, the expression from John to Gaius, it would give us a better understanding of really how we ought to see one another. And maybe sometimes, just as every other love we have in our lives, sometimes love is taken for granted, isn't it? Do we really remind ourselves each time, hey, look, I'm about to go spend some time with some true miracles, some true people that were once dead and now they're alive. Some true cases of those in the Lord who are esteemed, dear, and worthy in the Lord. We are made worthy in the Lord. His attributes, the Spirit of God working through us and abounding in our hearts and being shed abroad. It truly is a wonderful thing. And it's a personal thing. It's different for me to say that I like being with the people of God. And it's a whole lot different to say, I enjoy being with y'all. I enjoy being with you. 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 But do we? Do we find that enjoyment? I believe we should. This love is purposed in truth. You see it. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. It's purposed in truth. Now, we don't get together, I mean, we don't get together and have, you know, card games, and we don't get together and do this or that or the other. What brings us all together besides the truth, and what is that? Now, the truth is the reality or fact or certainty in things pertaining to God and things pertaining to man. Adam fell. He sinned against God. He fell, brought death upon all men. Jesus Christ came, the second Adam, came and saved his people from their sins. In time, he, the, by the Spirit of God, that was made real unto us. And the entirety of the word, word of God coming back to the gospel and everything else flows from that. How the children of God were to behave came after they were delivered, wasn't it? So all these things, how we're to behave, how we're to live our lives, everything in the Word of God is first foundational in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If, if God didn't make those coats of skin for Adam and Eve, nothing else mattered. They were naked and afraid and hiding in the bushes, deserving to die. People question whether there is an actual truth. Well, John says, whom I love in the truth, and, and the translation of that means that there is a singular truth. People like to say that there's your idea of truth and your my idea of truth, and that's that can't be. That can't be true. <laughs> you know that that can't be. That's right. If, if, if think about it. You know when you were when maybe siblings growing up, or you've seen a, an argument, and one person say no, I'm right, and the other person say no, I'm right. Well, they both can't be right. That's impossible. Totally possible. They're both wrong. Right. Impossible. They're both right. Impossible. They're both true. Can you imagine the chaos and loving in a diversity of truth? Well, think about this. That sounds, wait, say that again. Imagine the chaos in living in a diversity of truth. 
Well, there are a lot of assemblies out there that have, quote, diversity of truths. They have different sets of beliefs and structures and all that kind of stuff, but somehow they can come together and agree on things. Why is that? Because they're all believing lies. But God is true and every man is a liar. Then the people of God should not be content with lies. And John would not love someone in the truth who was bound up in lies. He would love someone in the truth who loved truth. The truth according to God. In Philippians, excuse me, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 in the first part of the verse there. Chapter 3 and verse 4. He says, God forbid, yea, let God be true and every man a liar. Now, we could get into the context and, and, you know, he's talking about, you know, something that's not exactly what we're talking about today. But I believe it broadly that can be applied in everything. God being true, let God be true and every man not being God a liar. So if John loved Gaius, and if Gaius truly was beloved or esteemed and dear and worthy, showing qualities of loving and behaving in the truth, and he says, I love you or I have affection towards you in a personal way, Gaius. I'm pleased and content with you in the absolute truth of God flowing from the Word of God. Then we have to understand that this truly was a very narrow way of looking. Oh, you're too closed-minded. Anybody ever heard that when talking about anything pertaining to salvation? You're too closed-minded. These two men were so closed-minded that they could only meet and love in the truth. That's where they were. And I believe that kind of fellowship is, is had and can be had and is had in this place in the truth. In John chapter 15, if you look there just for a moment, John chapter 15... And let's see, John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. John 15, verses 18 and 19. He says, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So they loved one another in the truth. Well, why does the world hate someone who is in the truth? Because they're not. Or not? Well, they say I love God. I love God. We studied that through First John. First John chapter. Let's see. First John chapter three. Excuse me, chapter two. Now, which chapter three? 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. Whoso committeth a sin transgresseth the law, also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that is that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. So truth having an application, John loving him, John loving Gaius because of his position in the truth. 
First John chapter four, verse four, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us in truth. He that is not of God heareth us not. Why? Because lies do not receive truth. Hereby we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So here we can see easily that John loved Gaius. Gaius loved truth. John loved truth. They loved one another in the truth, and both of them walked in it and were well-beloved in God toward one another. It's a beautiful, beautiful relationship they have here. This world will not love, receive, or be fond of truth. It won't. It really won't. In reverse, the truth then, think about this. We say about the world's position on truth. Sometimes we let it slide, the position we should have toward error. In reverse, the truth should be vexed and troubled in this present world and not find a love for error or this present world. It's a relief for the people of God to be around the beloved people of God. It's a relief. Truth, what is, again, truth in reality or fact and things pertaining to God, truth pertaining to personal knowledge of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've known a lot of people who say that they're saved, but the truth that they hold to or the truth that they say they hold to is not the absolute truth of the word of God, and our fellowship ends pretty quickly. You know, you say, well, I can't have church fellowship with them, but I can have Christian fellowship with them. Well, if, if someone believes they had anything to do with their salvation, I don't have Christian fellowship with them. I, I can have fellowship in the, in the flesh as a human being. Hey, how you doing? Great. Good to see you. But a true gospel fellowship in the truth and thanks pertaining to God and salvation, that's not the fellowship that John was talking to about Gaius here, or talking to Gaius about, rather. Truth pertaining to the true meaning of love. We read 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. The true meaning of love, 2 John, verses 5 and 6. Now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love. Not patting each other on the head, not condoling, giving each other condolences for, you know, for best efforts. That we walk after his commandments. If I love you, I will encourage you to walk after the commandments of God. If you love me, you will encourage me to walk after the commandments of God. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Not believe it. Not have it as, a, as, as, as something floating around in my brain. But that we live it. That we walk it. That we trust the Lord and do what he says. You see... This is going to play out in this letter. Verse 4, 3 John, verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. No greater joy. Well, John was there when the Lord Jesus Christ looked him dead in the eye and said that you keep my commandments as I kept my Father's commandments, that your joy might be full in John chapter 15. So he knows what joy is, and he, he wasn't just throwing that word around. He also knows what the word love means, and he also knows what the word truth means. The word truth pertaining also to the word of God and all of it. 
You know, sometimes we can get so excited. And, and when I say this, I don't mean to minimize the doctrine at all. I love the doctrine of sovereign grace. I really do. In every, in every aspect. And, and, you know, sometimes it's a bitter pill to swallow that I'm totally depraved. But the more I realize that the only thing God Almighty would like about me is himself, the better off I'm going to be. And the, more, and the less of me I want to be, right? That's what John the Baptist said. He must increase, I must decrease. So in things pertaining to the Word of God, sovereign grace, but not just sovereign grace. Not just sovereign grace. There's a lot more in this Bible than sovereign grace. Much of, Bible, the, much of the Bible covers the broad subject of the practicality of grace. What grace did and what grace means. God called Abram out of Mesopotamia. Okay, now what? Live before me. Genesis chapter 17, if you look there just, just for a moment. He didn't just say, I'm El Shaddai, I'm the Almighty. Okay, we'll just do whatever you want. Right? What did, he, what, did, what, did, what did El Shaddai say? And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. I am El Shaddai. The very next part of the sentence. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Legalist? Uh -uh, that's before the law. God says, trust me and do what I say. The truth of the Word of God. Yes, sovereign grace. Yes, love. Yes, obedience. The truth. You know, sometimes when the truth is revealed, I say sometimes, many times, often, I find myself in repentance studying the Word of God. If you can study God's Word and never find yourself in repentance, please pray on that matter. Because this book is convicting. It really is. It is convicting. From cover to cover, I believe John is saying, Well, beloved, esteemed, dear, and worthy Gaius, oh, I love you, I'm pleased with you, I can, I'm content in you, and, then, and this is a love that I have for you in the truth, according to the blessed word of God and the experience of salvation itself. Some speak of the love of God. Oh, I love God. 1 John chapter 2. Verse 4. Excuse me, verse 3. And hereby we know that we know Him. Know that we know if we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth, his, keepeth not His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Based on verse 4, was Gaius a liar or was the truth in him? Well, by what we read about Gaius in 3 John, we know that while all men are liars, that he was an obedient man and he desired after obedience. And when, those, uh, when the truth was revealed, Gaius then repenting, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I believe that's the kind of man that, that Gaius truly was. 
Some speak of love again, but hate the truth of the word of God. You ever meet anybody like that? They say, love, 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 I love you, but hate the truth of the word of God. We know these people. We've met them. You've met them. Some have been inside this room before. Love and truth cannot be separated. Love and truth cannot be separated. Okay, so I'm going to give you some time to think about that statement. Love and truth cannot be separated. Give me one example of love based on lies, deceit, wickedness, and sin. One example. Give me one example of godly love based on lies, deceit, wickedness, and sin. Can you think of one? Now... Okay, so now you can't have love without truth. Let's see if you can have truth without love. Give one example of the love of God where was not present Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Has God ever expressed love without Christ? No. No. So now you see love and truth cannot be separated. That's right. They can't. So when he says... I love you in the truth. There's only one way to love somebody. You can't love somebody in lies. Right? That's right. There is no love based on sin, and there is no there is no love without the truth of the Word of God. So, children of God, it truly is wonderful to have personal, well-beloved, loving relationships in the Lord. I... Uh, one might say, well, you don't have many friends. I got everyone that the Lord wants me to have. John is comfortable and free in declaring these things, and so should we be. It's very okay for us to say, you know what? Brother Gary, I know you're a jerk and a dirtbag, and, and, and you know, you're going you're to die because you're a sinner, but I love you, and you're well-beloved in the Lord. And you can think of a bunch of worse names that you can call me. And I'd agree to every one of them, I'm sure. But we are to love one another in the Lord. The elder here says, Unto the well-beloved Gaius whom I love in the Lord. It may be well to entertain our own personal prayer lives in such a way. Father, please be near unto Brother Lexington, who is well-beloved, whom I love in the Lord. Be very near unto Sister Nelda, well-beloved, whom I love in the truth. Wouldn't that be something if our hearts were just melted with such tones toward one another? John is comfortable in doing it. He wrote it down. Sometimes we get uncomfortable just thinking about that kind of stuff. I find you all well-beloved in the Lord, each and every one of you. And yeah, and I know, you know, we're all just, you know, dirt bags worthy of death, but in the Lord esteemed and dear and worthy, the Lord himself expressing his attributes through you. So when I say esteemed and dear and worthy, I'm praising God. I'm not trying to boast your heads and, and make it hard for you to get your, your heads through your shirt holes. It's an expression of admiration toward God as God expresses himself through his people. Is what it is. I love each of you in the truth, and I love it that you love truth. 
right? Each and every one. Raise your hand if you know everything. None of my hands are up. My hands are in my pockets. What's that mean? That means each of us can grow in the truth, right? None of us have arrived where we need to be. May God grant us some knowledge of the truth through wisdom and understanding in His Word by the Spirit. Every day, all day long. May the Lord build our love for one another. That He would grow each of us in the Lord. That He would... That, with it, that we would each encourage and be encouraged in the Lord by one another. That we would each provoke one another in love and good works and be glad about it. You think John and Gaius ever disagreed about anything? They're human beings. I'm sure there must have been something they didn't see eye to eye on. And when he says, look, he says I, in verse 4 again, I am no greater than to hear that my children walk in truth. What, what does that mean? Is, this, is Gaius really his son? No, it's the same expression that Paul used when he, when he talked about Titus and Timothy, how that they were unbelievers. The Lord used Paul to bring the gospel to them, and the Lord saved them. He did his work, and now they were his children in the Lord. We could directly see that Gaius was... John's child in the Lord, the Lord himself, of course, bringing the new birth, but John bearing the gospel. So then at one point, John must have had interaction with Gaius when he was an unbeliever, by logic, right? Can an unbeliever be well-beloved in the truth? No. So then there had to have been some development on one or both of their sides, particularly in Gaius that John would have had the love to tell him the gospel in the first place. That is a loving thing, to declare the truth of God's word. You're a sinner. You're going to die. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. What love is expressed in this entire, this entire letter? It's wonderful. It really is. We should provoke one another, and that for Christ's sake, we should truly love one another, desiring to walk in the Lord together. I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. Y'all didn't know I had children in their 70s and 80s, did you? It's really a wonderful thing for a pastor to have to, to, to be privileged to be among a group who desire to walk in the truth. You know, what a, what a, in, in eternity, in eternity, in Hebrews chapter uh, 13, turn there just for a moment. Hebrews chapter 13. In verse 17, Obey them that have rule over you, spent yourselves, for they watch over for your souls as they must give account, that they may do it with joy. Sometimes we focus on the latter part and say, not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you, but... I believe y'all, well-beloved, well-beloved, love and the truth. I believe, as it is right now, this group, that I would give account before God Almighty and I would do it with joy. Why? Because I truly do believe I hold you well-beloved. And I believe that we have a love in the truth. And I believe we desire to move along those lines. And for Christ's sake, loving you. 
I believe that it would be profitable to give testimony over your your love and affection toward the Lord as you serve him through his assembly. He's not ignorant. He's not going to be asking because he doesn't know. But that is what it says. Children of God have such desires for one another as well. If you see me stepping off path, nudge me back on the path. And likewise, we'll do the same. Receive the word of God. Sinner, there is no love, there is no being well-beloved, or there is no truth in living in rebellion against God. From the very beginning, you can be like God, Satan said. That was a lie, and the love of God was not in it. And the greatest affections are sown in sin. But I love this, I love that, sown in sin. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. The richest of esteem is poor, low, and weak. Revelation, I saw the dead stand before the throne, small and great. The sweetest of all lies brings the bitterness of sorrow. In your happiness and relaxed relationships, are they're just a fleeting dream in the scale of eternity. Oh, you might enjoy a day or a week or a month or a few years. Laughs and giggles, parties and good time. But that stuff is all just for a moment, a vapor. As the preacher said in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's like the grass. It's here today, gone tomorrow. Do not rest your soul on such things that perish and fade away. Just because you find in your fallen and depraved nature you find love or happiness, what you perceive to me, don't trust in those things. I encourage you to repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And look, going back to the that word well-beloved, I said it's the same word that John uses for beloved throughout the letter. That word is also cited in another place, the book of Matthew. Turn over there just for a moment. Matthew chapter 3. This is amazing. Matthew chapter 3, same word, verse 17. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. Beloved son, esteemed, dear, worthy, and whom I am well pleased. Now John found Gaius well beloved in the Lord. You take that phrase in the Lord, there's nothing well beloved about anybody. God the Father sees, sees God Jesus Christ as his beloved son, well beloved, esteemed, dear, and worthy expressed in ability of the work expressed in ability you don't have ability by nature i'm not well beloved i'm not a well beloved person not of god by nature that is the very necessity of christ and his esteem and his goodness and his worthiness that a sinner can be made near unto god the Lord Jesus Christ in his gospel is the only source of love, the love of God towards sinners. There is no other way that God can love a sinner outside of the exclusive gospel of Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that exclusive? It's the Lord Jesus Christ, dead, buried, and risen again by substitution, dying for his people, alone or nothing. 
It can't be the gospel and baptism, gospel and good conscience, gospel and good works, gospel and anything else. There is only one that is well-beloved of God the Father, that's Jesus Christ. And because of his gospel, all these sinners are brought and made under the likeness of him. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. See the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory as the Savior of sinners. And not just that he died for sinners. It's great that he died for sinners. It's great that he came to save, seek and save that which is lost. It's great. I'm very thankful that he died for me. That particular love that John expressed, yes, he does have love toward the people of God. He expresses a personal love to Gaius. And I believe that's exactly what Jesus Christ did at Calvary. He expressed a personal love to his people. He died for his people. He died for me. Just having a knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God and he saved his people from their sins, that's not salvation. A sinner being brought to the realization that they are they're completely unlovable, that they're wicked and wretched and vile and before God guilty, and that Jesus Christ in a personal love took their place paid their sin, died, was buried, and rose again. See the Lord as that personal Savior. By the power of God, see the Lord Jesus Christ in His fulfillment as God is the way, the truth, and the life. Without Him, there is no way, there is no truth, and there is no life. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. I love you all. Well-beloved, Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, Silsby, Texas. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.